This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. According to author Reed Markham, the quality of a father can be seen in the goals, dreams and aspirations he sets not only for himself, but for his family. Paul Gardner has a tough act to follow. His father Adrian is not only one of South Africa's most noted entrepreneurs, but he is also recognised as being the pioneer of wildlife tourism in the Eastern Cape. To hear Paul speak, however, you'll be in no doubt that he has the drive, personality and ambition to carry on his father's great work. Enjoy. First of all, Paul, Happy New Year. We are in 2023. Can you believe it? Exciting times. Eh? Let's hope this is going to be a bumper year for tourism. We're very excited. Happy New Year to you too and all the listeners. Thanks so much. I mean, welcome back to South Africa as well in the Eastern Cape. I mean, does this still feel like home to you? You know, I've lived in the UK now for 20, 20 years and uh, coming up my 21st and uh, I still call the Eastern Cape home. So when somebody says, where are you going uh, for Christmas? I say home. Yeah, so it's a very special province still. Uh, love it here. Yeah. Absolutely love it. You work in London, don't you? Right in the centre. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're in the southeast of England. It's quite a different, different day-to-day experience, I should imagine. Yeah, you know, I think I'm uh, very fortunate that I get to come back quite a bit in the year. I'm back here probably four or five times a year. So it makes it a hell of a lot easier. Everyone says, why the hell have you given up the Eastern Cape for, for uh, dreary old UK? And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough uh, country at the moment. I mean, all you've got to do is follow the news to see how tough it's got there. Um, so it's got its issues. But the fact that I get to come back so much and I'm you know, talking to Africa every day of my life and on, in terms of Zoom calls and whatever else makes it very easy to live there. Well, I, I've come the other way, as you know, an Englishman living in South yeah. Africa, and I've just absolutely enjoyed my time here in the Eastern Cape. And as you know, the grass isn't always greener. I think as South Africans, we tend to look at our own country and think that we're worse off. But uh, I believe, um, and I know you're a, an ambassador for this country in, in throughout Europe and the rest of the world, that uh, we have got something special here, haven't we? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, from the beaches to the wildlife to the characters that make up our province, very, very special. Talking about a special place, we are at the magnificent Founders Lodge, um, an incredible place, a, a, a game reserve, magnificent views. Um, above the entrance is a sign stating where it all began. Why is this place so special? Well, I mean, you journey all the way back to the early 90s um, when Dad was on a mission to go and find a patch of Africa that he could call you know a wildlife sanctuary if you like and he was looking all over the place um, particularly in Zim because he's originally from Zimbabwe and, and Zambia so um, what happened was my brother and I were at boarding school in the Eastern Cape at, uh, in Grahamstown at St Andrews College and my folks lived in Port Elizabeth and when he was on this uh, lookout for land it kind of made sense for him to keep it close to home and what made even more sense was to do it between Port Elizabeth and Grahamstown and this little farm came up for sale thousand hectare uh, hunting farm and um, surrounding that little patch were just sheep goat and cattle farms there was nothing else and uh, so dad purchased the thousand hectares and it was a place for us to meet on the weekends which was really fabulous and then he acquired the next piece of land and the next and the next and suddenly before he knew it he had 10 farms um, in the early 90s and uh, he started to read up about what wildlife had existed here all those years ago and he started to turn back the clock and bring back the, the wildlife and so he was establishing this wild place that he always wanted and uh, 
you know, it, it had lots of trials and tribulations, um, but the, the result was that he developed this amazing game reserve, Shamwari. And, you know, that's always going to be his legacy and it's a very special place. Um, Founders Lodge is uh, a little patch adjacent to Shamwari because we sold Shamwari to a Dubai company um, uh, about 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, But Founders is what remains. And um, I think... Having grown up um, in this in this world of conservation and wildlife and tourism, um, is it, it, it makes it even more special to have this little patch. Um, so we've sold the big one, but we've still got uh, this little jewel on top of the hill that overlooks everything. Um, so for me, it you know you have it was it was almost that course in my life that uh, you, you you get into conservation young, it'll be with you forever and. So coming back uh, um, is, I mean, you get very nostalgic driving around here and um, and, and spending time on the on the reserve and uh, a little founders, and then we still have traversing onto the amazing Shamwari game reserve. So um, yeah, the the memories live strong in me, and that's just why I think it's such a special place. As you know, it's an absolute honour to be able to write the the history of wildlife tourism here in the Eastern Cape, and there's no doubt that Adrian Gardner is a pioneer of that movement. Most people acknowledge that. I'm also very interested in what the likes of Adrian and colleagues are doing to the landscape. This idea of rewilding parts of uh, Southern Africa is fascinating for me. I've interviewed people like Andrew Muir, Paul Lister recently, of course, who's doing a similar job up in the Highlands of Scotland. Coming up, Sarah Tompkins, of course, she's uh, um, got great visions at Samara Game Reserve. Um, what developed your interest, though, in conservation and the natural world? Did it come from Dad, or is it something that uh, you always had within you? And I believe you were one of the first rangers at Shamwari. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if I was a very good one, but <laughs> it was myself and a couple of mates, and, and we all mucked in because, you know, uh, there was no real legislation or, or training that you could do to become a ranger. So they, they, they sort of themed us the joke rangers. <laughs> and we had some very basic training, but we pulled it off. Uh, we, we probably had to make up a few bird names and things as we went, but that's what rangers do, you know, you've got to just have the gift of the gab and go for it. But I don't think it was um, anything in me, instilled in me. I think uh, nature, if you're born into it, absolutely, you'll love it forever and, and you'll treasure it. I wasn't born into it. You know, we lived in Port Elizabeth. I, I, the, the first real experience of, of Africa for, for me was probably when Dad bought that first patch of land. And uh, and I suppose the trigger was when the first big animals arrived off the trucks when Dad started the rewilding, you know. And if you go back to 1989, he purchased the first farm. Probably in 1990, the first animals arrived. Exactly the same year, Yellowstone National Park were rewilding. You know, they were starting to bring back the wolves and, and the bears that had also been decimated. And so, you know, we, we, we did our project in parallel to them, but we didn't even know what was going on there. Um, but the term rewilding nobody even understood and suddenly dad was pioneering and doing all this amazing stuff and you know i just remember all these incredible creatures arriving here and, and for me probably the standout animals to arrive were the black rhino because that animal i mean you get a white rhino which is like a cow he just mucks around and grazes and he's very docile and you bring a black rhino into this area where he should be he is like a mad freaking pig but that weighs a ton you know 
and the angriest animal you've ever seen. And you saw these things coming off the trucks and you'd have to boma them. You put them in an enclosure the size of a football field for, um, for about a month to acclimatize and get used to the electric fences before you can release them. But believe me, when they came off that truck, they were so angry and the snorting and the grunting and trying to break the boma down. It was just amazing. And you're standing there as a young 12-year-old, 13-year-old. My goodness, it was uh, that's a life-changing moment for me. And that's, that was sort of the, the set the set the tone for, my, for the rest of my career in conservation and, and um, hospitality. What an amazing upbringing you must have had. I mean, and you're all learning on the job. Certainly, sure, your, your father was. Uh, there was a story of the the first elephants released. I believe they, uh, they weren't too happy to be uh, fenced in. No, I mean, I was there. So I sat on the hill and watched this all unravel. We had about 100 journalists and and uh, friends of the media and friends and family gathered around the boma watching this this elephant herd come off the truck and previously they would only release little baby elephants so they would do a lot of culling in kruger and then we would get all the babies and uh, that was a a big issue because those babies would become rogue elephants and cause a lot of problems they need that hierarchical structure the matriarch and everything else and so they discovered that and they thought, okay, well, let's pioneer this with the Shamwari guys. So they, they bought a truckload with a massive matriarch. I mean, we had never seen an elephant so big. And she was the one that caused all the problems. She came off the truck last. She took one look at that boma. She put a tusk underneath it and she lifted the whole thing over her head. The whole thing, it, it crashed like toothpicks. And the journalists and the media and the conservation guys, everybody just scattered. Thank God there were no injuries. And then she led the whole herd out the main game reserve fence. She lifted that over her tusks and just kept on running. And eventually one of her calves stuck with her and they ran over the N2. They headed off into the dunes of Alexandria right until the bay of PE, until they couldn't run any further. And we had to get her back. And then we got choppers involved. A lovely gentleman called James Thompson, a local Eastern Caper, loaned us his chopper. And we, we got her back and we got the calf back and calmed the herd down. And, Incredible. Yeah, you know, a hell of a thing to be involved with again as a youngster. So it's just quite, it's like being a, a real bush cowboy. You couldn't have asked for a better upbringing. And this was this was the early 90s. Correct. Um, you were creating a new model here. Um Am I right to say, I mean, the, the, these animals had not been seen here for, for 200 years. I mean, Correct. recently I had the privilege of sitting behind uh, your father, Adrian, when he was releasing elephant into Neosi Game Reserve, which is on the on the outskirts of Port Elizabeth. And um, it was almost 30 years to the day done exactly the same thing at Shamwari. So it's history repeating itself, which is quite remarkable. Uh, he's a remarkable man, of course. He never stops. Mm. Um, he, I've never, I've never been around somebody who, who, who's so dynamic in terms of business, in terms of creating ideas. I want to ask you, what was it like having such a busy and dynamic father back then in the day, but even today? I mean, he's, he's mm. quite some act to live up to, isn't he? You know, when we were youngsters, we didn't see much of dad. Um, you know, I don't think he was the best with kids and everything else. He just wanted to put his head down and work. And, you know, there are a lot of South Africans, there are a lot of people like that around the world. They're entrepreneurs and that is their life. And so mom brought us up, myself, Marie, my brother and my sister, Angela. And uh, and he would flit around, you know. Um, but when it came time to, to for us, when we came of age and started joining the family business, um, that's when it got really cool for him because he could mentor us and not that he would really mentor us he'd have other people sort of mentor us it was not a bad thing but um you know in this current stage of his life he's turning 80 in march um is uh he's he's not slowing down as you would know (laughs) 
he's a steam engine still going for it. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, I sit in the UK. We probably speak um, every single day of our lives, and we because I, I love bouncing stuff off of him or just giving him updates, and and he's the same, and you know, we're all striving towards the same thing. And so we've got all that enrichment and, and fulfillment out of Dad over the last 30 odd years that I've been working with him for. Um, so I may have not had it as a youngster, but we certainly, um, all three of us, we speak often as a family. We're actually a very tight little unit, which is lovely. And as the family's grown, you know, everybody pulls together. We've just had a lovely Christmas together in St. Francis and it's special. And we appreciate, you know, these, these years together. No, it is special family time, of course. And talking of the family business, you're now CEO of the Mantis Collection. Can you tell me a little bit about your role sure, and what yeah. you do? Yeah, so, you know, Mantis was kind of born out of our, um, you know, we, we got to a stage in 2000 where we had several hotels and lodges. And we needed to come up with an umbrella name. And um, so the dad being wonderful friends with the late Dr. Ian Player said to him, you've got to help me come up with a name. And uh, you know, for the drop of a hat, uh, Dr. Ian Player said, okay, I've come up with your name and it's Mantis after the little insect. Um, because it's one of the only insects you find across the, the globe. It's on all six of the seven continents, obviously not Antarctica. Um, but uh, it's also um, a, a beautiful um, acronym has been born out of Mantis, which we came up with, um, and it's man and nature together is sustainable. And so that was born in 2000. And uh, so today the group is very much, uh, we own a few of our properties still today, but we also largely manage a lot because we've been doing it for 30 years. So we get approached by owners or investors wanting uh, a brand on top of their hotel. Well, then we go in and we do it for them. And it, it, we, we largely focused in the eco space, the ecotourism space. So lodges, game reserves, um, that sort of play. But um, we also realized we need gateway hotels, as in boutique hotels. So um, we, we, we identify cities where we like to do that. So Port Elizabeth, our gateway hotel is number five. So hopefully our guests stay there before they go on their safari at Founders. Um, so as, as, as my, my role is obviously, I think I, I quite enjoy getting more, more involved in the new business development side of it. So um, right now we have a big push for Middle East and um, with me being um, in the UK, it kind of makes sense for me to focus on that area. And I kind of leave Africa to our partners, Accor, and um, we've got a, a, a chap by the name of Craig Erasmus who takes care of that with Dad. So they're very focused on Africa. And um, I've got a little team that look after the Middle East. And there we're busy with uh, a, a, a property in Bahrain. And we're busy with a property in Russell Khaimah, which is an, one of the seven Emirates. So it's very close to Dubai. Um, and then Saudi Arabia is a new frontier for us and for the world. It's amazing what's going on there. I know it's, there's various stigma attached to it, but the, the new ruler there is fast changing that place. And it's, fin it's so fascinating as a foreigner to go into that place because we all know so little about it, particularly as Westerners. Believe me, it's a stunning, stunning country. And right now we're doing a master plan um, and, and, and trying to figure out a whole strategy for the second largest game reserve or national park. They call it a royal reserve in Saudi. And, you know, if you think Kruger's a large national park at two, 2 million hectares, this particular reserve is 9 million hectares. And uh, Mantis has been invited to look at help, helping them strategize a piece of that. So, um, so that's what I love, you know, and I think a bit of hospitality and conservation entwined in that is, is always cool.
Well, I think uh, tourism is is unique in um, opening up people's eyes to different cultures. We only have to look at South Africa. I mean, we've been a misunderstood country because of our politics mm. in the past. Saudi Arabia certainly probably falls under that category. Uh, we've got a certain man called Ronaldo, of course, who's just signed for mm-hmm. a Saudi Arabian soccer club. So perhaps along with yourselves, we can perhaps understand Saudi Arabia is not just about oil and and um, and the various politics. It's it's an interesting one because you've you've actually hit on something that I say quite a lot. If South Africa wasn't given a chance in '94, and we weren't given the Rugby World Cup of '95, and everybody just shunned us because of our legacy of apartheid, we'd be doomed. But the world embraced us, and look where it took us. So as far as Saudi is concerned, I think the same thing. You've got to give them a chance. Um, the Western world needs to give them a chance. Uh, you know, I think the Qataris pulled off a successful World Cup. I didn't get a check to say that. Um, but I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East and you've got to embrace the culture and unearth it because let's go and learn about them before we just, you know, shun them. Without a doubt. I mean, sport is one of those things that really crosses barriers. Conservation, nature, our natural world certainly is. It's something we've got in common. Yeah. Now, you're a, you're clearly like your father, Paul. You're an innovator. There's no doubt about it. And I'm interested in this association you've got with someone called Bear Grills. How did that come about? And perhaps for those people who don't know who Bear is, can you explain a little about, bit about him? Sure. I think uh, I often have to explain to people who, who he is. But as soon as you show them a photograph of him eating a disgusting snake or something, <laughs> the penny drops. Oh, I remember seeing him on TV. So he is. He's a survival expert. He's an adventurer. He's summited Everest after he broke his back and he was told he could never walk again. So he's an extraordinary guy. He's got the Hollywood looks and he's damn good on TV. So he's got the formula down to a T. And I met him about 12 years ago. Um, and um, I, uh, you know, being, you know, as you, as you say, somebody's always looking for opportunities like that, is I said to him, listen, Bear, we, um, we send quite a lot of English and American students, European students down to South Africa to work um, in gap year programs. And I said, to, you know, in the conserv- field of conservation, and I said to Bear, could we not start a school of survival using your name? And um, I didn't do that face to face. I pinged him an email. I was on the back of a game drive. And I said, oh, maybe that could be a good idea. I bounced it off my wife, Abby, and, and she said, yeah, let's do it. And so I emailed him. And within two minutes, he responded. He said, absolutely. Let's get on a call and make this happen. As quick as that, like Dad thinks, you know, don't let an opportunity go by. And he, and I phoned him and he said, okay, well, Paul, I'm not letting you just set up in Africa. You're taking this thing around the world for me. So we essentially take what uh, Bear does on TV and we bring it to life for kids, for families, adults. We do corporate team building. And uh, we've developed a series of products which we now license around the world. So in China, the Boy Scouts are banned because you know it's a communist country there's a christian undertone in the scouts and so you can't go there so we've taken the bear rules brand into china and he is kind of the the face of outdoor adventure there and we're trying to get the kids off gadgets and everything else more so now than ever after COVID. obviously they're in the, the brink of it but when they come out we'll be ready and waiting in australia we've got a wonderful partnership there uh, we're in um, europe at a beautiful resort in greece uh, we're taking it into Saudi. We've got a great partner there. We're going to tee that up very soon. Uh, we're in uh, Rasselheimer uh, in, in the UAE. We're across the UK. And for me, the next place um, is America. I really want to look at that because his brand is so big there. I mean, he takes, you know, he's taken President Obama out on, uh, on a TV show, Julia Roberts. Uh, the list goes on and on. A bunch of A-listers. And he does that on Nat Geo, Disney, Disney Channel. 
Um, and then the, 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 the final little place where we have a, a survival academy is at Founders. So if you come and stay at Founders, either at the lodge or on our new railway coach down in the valley, and you've got kids, and they want a taste of the Bear Grylls Survival Academy, well, then they've got to come to Founders for that experience. And our guides are trained, and they take them down and do some basic survival lessons, but Bear Grylls style. They don't eat anything too nasty. <laughs> I'm, glad to, I'm glad to hear that. It's clearly something you've taken from your, from your dad, because didn't Adrian in those early days, he, he brought the celebrities out to Shamwari to show them what it was like so they could go back and be ambassadors, the likes of Tiger Woods, John Travolta, to name but a few. And it's something that's important in the modern world, isn't it? Very important. You know, dad will always harp on about um, endorsements. Um, and, you know, when he developed Shamwari way back, um, everybody laughed at him. You know, all the neighboring farmers said, I oh, will give this guy 10 years. They saw these baby elephants arrive. They thought it was the biggest joke. And um, but then dad got uh, somebody like Dr. Ian Player involved. OK, you know, Dr. Ian Player is Gary Player's brother, for those of you that don't know. But what Gary is to golf, Ian is to conservation. Uh, he he single-handedly saved the white rhino from extinction in this country in the 50s and the 60s. There were only 300 left, and they're 20,000 today. Um, but so somebody like Ian Player, and then, <clears throat> you know, when Shamwari became a success, uh, John Travolta obviously came, and Brad Pitt, and all the rest followed, which is just amazing. And uh, um, so... When you, when you come to my life, and, and you know, I think I'd like to think I've learned a bit um, from that. And absolutely, the Bear brand is, is great. It's a, it's a strong brand, and he's a wholesome character and does some amazing stuff. And, um, and now we're starting to look at other talents, too, so beyond Bear. And uh, what we try and do is we take the talent uh, to um, a, a property. So, for instance, the one in Bahrain. I've got a, a, a big name in conservation, and we're going to hopefully put his attach his name to the conservation piece, and we'll also develop a big rules experience there. Um, and, and we're working now. I'm starting to look at the YouTubers around the world because those old TV guys are going to eventually phase out. Our generation still watches a bit of TV, but I'll tell you what, the younger generation are so fixated on YouTube. And, um, and, and there's, there's some serious talents on there that have got millions and millions of subscribers. Uh, the one that I'm really keen to get to uh, has 20, 20 million subscribers. And uh, so we're working on something with him for the Saudi market. Um, but that's a very smart way to get eyeballs on a new product. So we, it's something that we, 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 we still use as part of our strategy. It's something, something. it's something that's really impressed me about <clears> your father because, okay, he's nearing his 80th birthday, but... He's got, a, he's got a, a finger on the pulse when it comes to technology. I mean, he's the way he uses the internet, the way he understands marketing, the branding, as we've talked about. Um, the other important thing that we must mention, I think, as we wrap up, is, the, is your engagement in all of these places, but specifically here in the Eastern Cape, is your engagement with community. Now, uh, part of what he set up is an MPO called the Community Conservation Fund of Africa, which works closely with what you do at Mantis and uh, certainly involved in the new game reserve at Neosi. Mm. How, why is that so important? And do you think that would be the kind of legacy that you'd want to leave with your work that you're doing? I'd love, I'd love nothing more than that, I think, you know, um, and so would Dad, is, uh, you know, South Africa is an interesting country, and it still remains an interesting country, and we've never got the land issues and everything else, and um, so I think uh, Nyosi, uh, which is, you know, we're positioning as the first game reserve between two cities, it's between Trebecha um, and Kariche, which is old Yutenay, um, and 
there we want to use it as a showcase as to how private landowners can actually embrace community and wildlife at the same time because you know they they, they really go hand in hand um, we've got to prove that um, you know to build a game reserve on, uh, uh, that borders a, a large african township is you know again you know people that are you know probably say well what the hell are you doing um, you're gonna have poaching issues etc etc but I, I think there's a great opportunity to work out work this out now and you know let's see what we can do and, and and give real benefit to a community without greenwashing or any of that nonsense we've got to do this properly and so we've got some big endorsements uh, international endorsements um, one which i can talk about is uh, chester zoo a fabulous zoo um, you know the zoos are frowned upon but uh, i wouldn't frown upon this one this is a this is the probably the best in in the whole of europe they do incredible stuff there but they also do incredible stuff around the world. They're funding conservation projects everywhere, and they are determined to get behind um, us at Nyorsi. And, uh, and that's one example. Um, and then we're looking at developing ultimately a community center where we'll teach entrepreneurship. And um, you know, we've, we've already got a, a nursery program there. Um, and I think there's a lot more that'll come. But right now you can go and visit as a, a day visitor from Port Elizabeth or Kariha. You can go on, on a game drive and have a lovely lunch and just see what we're doing. Uh, the Ellies, as you rightly said, have arrived. The cheetah have arrived. I think the buff are about to arrive. Um, and various other species will come uh, as we develop that. Um, so it's going to be a very special place and a great legacy project um, for, for Dad. Now I look forward to it. Well, Paul, it's certainly been a pleasure get, getting to know you and your family over the past few months. And I look forward to sharing your stories with a wider audience once my books are published. So can I just say safe travels back to the winter in the UK mm. and look forward to seeing you back here soon. Yeah, it's my last 24 hours here. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Thank well, you so much, Dean. And I wish you well with a book. We can't wait to see it. And to all your listeners, thanks for listening. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.